I'm Lauren Clash-Snyder with Class Notes for Broadway Radio. I'm here with Smokey Stevens, writer and performer of I Just Want to Tell Somebody at Theater for the New City. Hello. Hello. Well, thank you for being with us today. And we're just going to jump right into the fact that you have performed with many greats, including Charles Honey Coles, Lucille Ball, Cap Calloway, Ossie Davis, Ruby Dee. And this current play of yours dramatizes your lifelong battle with drugs in which you've prevailed. And Yes, 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 yes. Through the grace of God, I have, ma'am. And, um, you know, it was a moment in time when you fall and you found yourself, well, I found myself sitting at the bottom of life. And I actually had to come to grips with who I am, where I was, and what was happening. And it was a transformative moment that occurred in my life. And so at that moment, I began and made a choice to choose to live again, totally, without the the vices of life that were attempting to destroy my life. And after I made that choice, my life is transformed. And it's a story that's taken 22 years to write. And it's been 22 years since I left New York in my last Broadway production, which I co-wrote, directed, (laughs) choreographed, and starred in. That production was entitled Rolling on the T-O-B-A, a tribute to the last days of Black Vaudeville. That show that I created was in 1999, and the story that I've brought to New York today is a story that's taken 22 years in the making. And I'm blessed and grateful and thankful to have survived because my story also chronicles the lives that we've lost through this epidemic and this consistent disease known as addiction. Mm. And are you able to pinpoint for us what that moment was where you talk about how there was a transformation and happened at a specific time? Well, I found myself, I my name was up in lights on Broadway in 1999 as I created my Broadway show. And after the premature, unfortunate closing of my show, it was emotionally more than I could handle. And so having a pattern of uh, addiction and relying on drugs when times get tough, I've reverted back to that usage. And a year later, I found myself sitting in a prison cell. And it was at that moment at the bottom of life, as I said, where I came to the realization of how far I had fallen. But my desire to live was greater than my desire to be where I was. And I asked God for another chance. And he showed up. And I was given another chance. Even as a matter of fact, while I was incarcerated, ma'am, I even wrote and directed a play. I rewrote the biblical story called The Prodigal Son, and I made a contemporary version of that piece. And that penitentiary allowed me to direct and work with 22 other inmates mm. that fallen like I had. And so it was at that moment that my power was greater than I had ever known. Because men always fear of going and being incarcerated, but it was there where I found my power. 
And afterwards, I've been able to use it. And it's a story that's taken 22 years in the making. And I'm grateful to be able to use it as a piece to inspire others who are suffering and to let others witness my failures, but also how I was able to redeem my life through choosing to live. And so we all have a choice. None of us came into this world with the conditions that we suffer with. All along our lives' journeys, we pick up and we learn uh, dysfunctional behavior. And sometimes, unfortunately, addiction may have some physiological issues that we really don't know about. But everything and we all are imbued with the power to change the condition of our lives. And that is my message. We have the power to change the conditions of our lives if we choose to. Well, in talking about your life and this play where you're the sole performer in the story, you play two characters, yourself, and your nemesis D-Man, a sarcastic doppelganger. What's it like for you to step into these two roles for each performance? Well, ma'am, I have lived both of those people. Hmm. And that D-Man represents the life and the choices that I was making while I was involved with the usage of drugs and that lifestyle that comes along with the usage of drugs and the mannerisms and the choices you make when you're involved in that lifestyle and the usage of drugs. But I also want to demand to manifest the power that that drug can have over you. And I want, and I've made him come to life because I wanted people to actually see addiction, what it does, how it feels about you. Addiction is no respecter of persons. Addiction comes to kill, seek, and destroy. And addiction is an entity. It's a spiritual entity that's, that's out to capture the souls of people. And a lot of our, and so I wanted to bring that to life on stage because I met him. Hmm. Um, so much of your work has taken place in Washington, D.C., and your director and set designer for this piece, Stephen Bird, is also from D.C. Will you talk about the partnership, how it came about, how you work together, particularly on a show like this? Well, that's a unique question, ma'am, and I'm glad that you asked me that. I met Stephen Bird in 1967 when we were in the 11th grade. <laughs> Stephen Bird and I went to Easton High School. We both graduated in 1969, but we met in 1967 because we both got a job with the D.C. Recreation Department, and the D.C. Recreation Department had what's known as the showmobile. And so Stephen Bird and I were the two actors in a play called Mrs. Patterson that the D.C. Recreation Department sponsored and toured around Washington, D.C. And so I met Steve and I in 1967. And so we have been knowing each other for over 57 years. And his life went his way and mine went my way. But we came back together uh, 10 years ago. 
And uh, this opportunity came, and because of his talents and because of our unique relationship, it was easy for us to pick up where we left off. We have a, a great respect for each other. Uh, Mr. Stephen Bird is a prolific writer himself. He's a, He has a, a couple of books out on his plays. He, and uh, he's a talented set designer as well as an excellent director. So I was blessed to have a childhood friend and I come together who graduated together, who started in theater together as teenagers and have, and have now come to New York together to make this show of mine work. Yeah, that's so great. And I hope that the DC Recreation Department is continuing giving students those opportunities for sure. Well, unfortunately, they are not. Um, but <laughs> I'm blessed to have had that experience. And uh, yeah. Well, maybe that'll be one of your next projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to also congratulate you. You're a recipient of an NAACP, their 11th Annual Theater Arts Award. Mm-hmm. How did that honor influence my work? That honor influenced my work because it was the first time that I was able to bring the subject and the history of Black vaudeville to the American stage. Black vaudeville is a part of Black, um, well, Black entertainment history, but it's also a part of American entertainment history. Uh, history that is seldom spoken about, if known at all. But it was a important part in the development of American entertainment history. And my show focused in on the black contributions that black Americans made from 18th, well, my let me just stop. My play, because they have a book on the subject as well, but my play, Rolling on the T-O-B-A, brought Black vaudeville back into the American vernacular because people weren't even aware that there was a Black vaudeville. But between 1875 and 1930, Black people flourished on our own touring circuits and black people produced and owned their own theaters. And we as black people had our own producers and our own audiences. And so one of those circuits was, or there were two, there was the original black vaudeville circuit called the deadly circuit. And then 11 years later, uh, Milton Starr and the white theater owners conglomerated together and created another circuit. But that was the circuit that destroyed vaudeville because those white theaters exploited the genre because they only wanted to capitalize on the finances. So my Broadway show brought that period back into the American, as I say, vernacular. And for the NAACP to award my show, uh, it was indeed an honor, a privilege. It was the first time that I'd ever won an award before. But just recently, last November, the Adelco, the Vivian Robinson Adelco Award, awarded that same Broadway show, the 49th Retrospective Award for Theater Excellence, and my Broadway show was chosen for that award. 
So uh, <laughs> it was nice. It's nice to receive those things, ma'am. But it's more important to have these shows not just pop up for four and five weeks and disappear. What's needed for Black Theater, because Black Theater is on life support, what's needed is a donor base. What's needed is more funds to keep shows and Black stories around, because it's difficult. It's difficult, ma'am, for Black stories to be seen and told. And there are many reasons. There's no fault. Well, yeah, there is some fault. Because black theater does not have the donor base that white theater has. And so me as a creator of black theater, I recognize the difficulty. My show, a show that's taken 22 years in the making, this, at this moment, I'm only doing it 12 times. Now, my show should not disappear with the with the importance with the the message that it brings it should have a life you know and so the the thing for me as a creator of, of theater is to constantly find those situations where my work can be seen on the american stage and it's difficult. So Smokey Stevens, I just want to tell somebody, is probably the most important show in New York City at this time. It is the most producible show in New York City at this time. And I have received rave reviews that most artists and shows don't receive. So I would like for your audiences to consider that and possibly think about bringing my show to Broadway. Terrific. I hope that this is a part of that. And I thank you, Smokey. And I thank you, ma'am, for allowing me to uh, say that. You know, it's not often that I get a chance to speak to people like yourselves. And I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but, you know, this is my passion. This is what I live and this is what I do. You know, it's not a hobby for me. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to get your story told. But I am unique because I am able and I am telling my story off-Broadway at Theater for the New City. And this is the last week running through the 18th, Thursday through Sunday. And um, I do hope that your audiences and your audience people that are listening will get an opportunity to come and see my work now. <laughs> Thank you. I am Lauren Clash Schneider with Smokey Stevens, writer and performer and historian of I Just Want to Tell Somebody at Theater for the Nation. Thank you. And thank you.